are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Now I want you to turn with us tonight to the, the first book of Samuel, chapter 9. I, I want to read from this wonderful chapter tonight, and I wish I was like some of these other wonderful preachers. They just take a text and hit the ground running. But I can't do that. I have to warm up to my subject, and I read quite a bit of Scripture before I preach, so you'll bear with me and indulge me in the reading of quite a little bit of Scripture in this ninth chapter of 1 Samuel. I always read till I get up courage enough to start preaching. And sometimes I read a whole book in the Bible before that ever happens. But we'll see what happens tonight. Then I was advised when I first started in the ministry, read lots of scripture. For if you get in trouble in one verse, you can plead to another. And I found that to be mighty good advice in my, in my ministry, in my preaching. Now then, the wonderful word of God, 1 Samuel chapter 9. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechorath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. And I might say in passing, I'm going to speak to you tonight on the subject of man of God. Men of God are not made from their shoulders up. They're made from their heart upward. This man was from his shoulders and upward. He was higher than any of the people. And the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. Kish said to Saul, his son, Take now one of the servants with thee, and arise. Go seek the asses. And he passed through Mount Ephraim, and passed through the land of Shalisha. But they found them not. Then they passed through the land of Shalem, and there they were not. They passed through the land of the Benjamites, and they found them not. And when they were come to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father leave caring for the asses and take thought for us. And he said unto him, That's the servant said unto Saul. And he said unto him, Behold now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man, and all that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now let us go thither, peradventure. He can show us our way that we should go. Let's skip down to verse 10. Then said Saul to his servant, Well said, Come, let us go. So they went unto the city where the man of God was. And then let us skip down to verse 17. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I spake to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, 
where the seer's house is, or the prophet's house. Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me unto the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let thee go, and will tell thee all that's in thine heart. And as for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them, for they are found, and on whom is all the desire of Israel. Is it not on thee and on thy father's house? Let's just skip down now to the close of the chapter. Samuel spent some time with young Saul at the feast and the sacrifice and the fellowship of the table. And then we read, And they arose early. It came to pass about the spring of the day that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, Up, that I may send thee away. And Saul arose, and they went out, both of them, he and Samuel abroad. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servant pass on before us. And he passed on. But stand thou still a while, that I may show thee the word of God. And I want to take a text tonight from 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 6. A verse that seemed to, in recent days, in my private devotion, just seemed literally to leap off of the pages of God's holy book and grip my heart. And he said unto them, unto him, this is an unnamed servant speaking to Saul, the uncrowned king of the nation of Israel. And the servant said unto him, Behold now, there is in this city a man of God. And he is an honorable man. And all that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now let us go thither, peradventure. He can show us our way that we should go. Now I just want to lift out of these, out of these wonderful verses tonight, this text in the Word of God. This, there is in this city a man of God. Now, of course, the city that the Bible has reference to was a city called Ramah, often mentioned in the Bible. It was the birthplace of Samuel, this great and mighty prophet and man of God. He was born there in answer to prayer. He lived there and went in and out, ministering into other places. And he was buried there, and the Bible said his house was there. And we have this wonderful statement from the Bible. There is in this city a man of God. And I cannot help but think when I read this wonderful statement in the Bible. There is in this city a man of God. I think of the cities in America that in my lifetime I've known to be in those cities men of God. I'm not talking about just preachers. I'm not talking about orators. I'm not talking about Christian leaders. I'm talking about men of God. I think of my city, Pontiac, Michigan, where I've been for nearly 44 years. There preceded me before my ministry there. There was a man of God in that city. And I think the city will never be the same. There was a man most of you have never heard his name probably. His name was Henry Savage. And for 37 years, Dr. Henry Savage was a man of God in the city of Pontiac. In the days when uh, there were not many 
great and large Sunday schools and churches as they are today. There was this large church. Uh, many people saved, many people baptized. 2,000 people in daily vacation Bible school. Hundreds of people in Sunday school and many people being saved. Churches started all around the section that tonight have a soul-winning, Bible-believing, spirit-filled man of God preaching in their churches. Oh, the city is blessed that's had a man of God in it. I think of Minneapolis where a man, William Bell Riley, in the latter days of his ministry, felt the need to break from organized religion and become one of the leaders of fundamentalism and the truth of the Word of God. And how fortunate was the city of Minneapolis to have a man of God. I think of this city in which you and I are gathered tonight, the city of Chattanooga. When God writes the history of this city, a great part of the history of Chattanooga will be to the fact, due to the fact that there's been a man of God in this city by the name of Lee Robertson. I think of Hammond, Indiana, where there's a man of God and where thousands of people are being saved. Fortunate is that city of Hammond, and Hammond, Indiana, to have a man like Dr. Jack Hiles. I think of the city of Chicago, and I remember in the early days of my ministry, how many times I heard the great man of God, Dr. Harry Ironsides, take the Bible and read it, and with such great and wonderful power, he stood for the truth of God. And I never think of Chicago, but what I think of the ministry of a man by the name of Harry Ironsides. I think of the city of Akron, Ohio. And years ago, there was a young man from down in the hills of uh, West Virginia who was working in the rubber plant. No education, didn't know anything about theology and homiletics and hermeneutics. But God saved him. And one day God put his hand upon his life and led him to start a church. And there is in that city today one of truly one of the greatest churches in the world because of the ministry of Dallas Billingham. There was a man of God in that city. I never think of Fort Worth, Texas, where our dear brother, uh, Dr. Raymond Barber, is preaching. But I think of years ago, there was a man in that city. He was not just a preacher. He was not just a spokesman for God. But he was in the true sense of the word, a man of God. There are hundreds of preachers all over America tonight because J. Frank Norris was a man of God for 44 years in the city of Fort Worth. I think tonight in the city of Dundee, Scotland, where years ago, a generation or two ago, there was a wonderful man who preached, Robert Mary McShane. And tonight there's a little handful of people that to the memory of a great man of God meet together and try to hold that memory of a man who shook his city, not because he was a preacher, not because he merely believed the Bible, but because he was in every sense of the word a man of God. Fortunate is a city that has a man of God. When I think of London, England, I think of Charles Hatton Spurgeon. Fortunate was that great and historic city that for all those years there was not just a great 
speaker and great preacher and great orator and great soul winner. But there was a man who in every sense of the word was a man of God. Well, I say to you tonight, what we need in America, I believe with all of my heart, is not just more preachers and not just more missionaries and not just more people that believe and preach the Bible, but we need in America tonight men who can be called men of God. Oh, thank God for those cities that have been so blessed by men of God. Effie Marsh mentions a street in the city of London that's named Godly Man's Street. One word, Godly Man's Street. And Effie Marsh tries to surmise. It's been named that many, many years. And he's tried to surmise. Why was it named Godly Man's Street? Effie Marsh said perhaps many generations ago there lived on that street someone who was unusual. Someone who, whose heart God had wrought upon. Someone who knew the Lord. Someone who lived in the Word of God and was truly a man of God. And when he passed on, Effie Marsh surmises, maybe they named that street after this man of God named the street Godly Man. Now in the text, there is suggested to me, so in the context, so many wonderful things. Here's a young man by the name of Saul that was looking for something that was lost. That, of course, strikes a chord in my heart. I believe that's the, that's the main calling of all of us tonight, to be looking for the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Here's a young man looking for something that was lost. He and his servant had gone from city to city and throughout all the territory occupied and had been given to the Benjamites and had not found his father's lost animals. In desperation, he said, at the end of a fruitless search, at the end of a fruitless journey, he thought, he said to his servant, now we've, we've not found them. Uh, we must go home. We must report that we failed. Our father will be worried about us, so we must return home. But the servant knew something Saul didn't know. The servant said, there is in this city a man of God. Let's go to him. He'll have the answers. He'll know what to tell us. He'll know what to do. And so they went to this man of God named Samuel. You know, a man of God should know something. I read some characteristics of men of God in the Bible. And I read that there were people who knew something. I read of a prophet that one time came, a man of God, and spake unto the king of Israel, and said, Thus saith the Lord. He said this because the Syrians had said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he's not the God of the valleys. And God said to a man of God, in verse Kings 20 and verse 28, you go and tell these people that I am the God of the hills. And no matter where we meet the enemy, they shall be overcome. I'm not only the God of the plains, but I'm the God of the mountains. Here's a man of God who knew something, and it turned out just like he said. Men of God 
know something. They know something God has said. They know something revealed in the blessed, blessed word of God. And I'm amazed here at what, the, what happened when this young man Saul came and at the end of a fruitless search, he was reminded there is a man of God. This man of God knew something Saul didn't know. He knew that God in heaven, in his own divine providence and wisdom, had chosen this young man to be the first king in Israel. And this mighty man of God, this prophet Samuel, said to him, Stand thou still a while, that I may show thee the word of God. He knew something Saul didn't know. He knew what God was doing. He knew where God was going. He knew the purpose of God. He knew what God's plan was for that day. And he anointed Saul to be the first king. You know, I was reading uh, recently, studying again these wonderful chapters. And I said to myself, when the way Saul turned out, you see, God, God said to, to Samuel, I'm going, to, I want you to anoint him because he will overcome the Philistines. I read to the end of his life and how jealousy came in of, of David and how he was eaten up of the flesh and gave way to carnality. And I see him one day in the Bible slain by a Philistine. And I say to myself, if I were God, I would not have chosen him. No matter how tall he was and how he stood head and shoulders, he would not have been my choice. But you know, God knows what he's doing. And God never calls a person because they're fit. But he fits people because they're called. And I like what the preacher said tonight. We need in America tonight some men of God who know they are called of God to be such. Oh, fortunate is the city or the church where there serves truly a man of God. Now there's some characteristics in, in some chapters surrounding what I've read tonight that speak many, many times of a man of God. You say, well, preacher, I'm, I'm not a preacher even. I'm a housewife. I'm a man in business. I'm a Christian worker other than a preacher. That matters not to me. I believe that the Bible teaches that every man that knows the name of Christ should desire to be known as a man of God. I learned for one thing in the scriptures that a man of God, now not just a preacher, but a man of God may sometimes be disobedient to the Lord. You know, there's a wonderful chapter you ought to read sometime very carefully. I know you have, most of you already, but that's 1 Kings chapter 13 where 15 times in one chapter it refers to an unnamed man as a man of God. You know the story when old Jeroboam was king in Israel, that wicked man 12 times in the Old Testament, it said Jeroboam who made Israel to sin. And he set up a golden calf and a heathen altar in Bethel and one in Dan, the extreme parts of the kingdom. And he said, we want to make religion convenient so you don't have to go to one central place where the tabernacle or the temple might be. But we want to make it convenient. We'll have a place in the north, a place in the south. But God wasn't in it. And one day there came 
Now the Bible says there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And he saw Jeroboam standing by the altar to burn incense. And he cried out against that altar. And he pronounced the judgment of God upon this man made religion and this man made altar. And when the king heard this unnamed prophet cry out against that wicked altar, he reached out his hand and said, Lay hold on that man. And that hand he never drew back to himself. For the judgment of God came on him. And he had to beg that unnamed prophet to work a miracle of healing in his body. Here's a man that spoke against evil. Here's an unnamed prophet that had the power to heal and to restore. The king said, you come live with me. Who wouldn't like to live in the king's palace? But this unnamed man of God said, no. God gave me orders. I'm not to eat bread nor drink water. I'm to spend no time in this place. I came to bring a message, and I brought it, and now I must go. And he refused to live with the king. But there came to him a lying prophet. And the lying prophet said, An angel has spoken unto me. Oh, I wish I had time just to talk about that a little bit. An angel spoke to me and told me to tell you that you are to come to my house and eat bread and drink water and spend time at my house. But the Bible said he lied unto him. And this unnamed man of God was fooled by the message so-called of an angel to a lying prophet. You know, that reminds me, the Bible says, if a man or an angel preach any other gospel than that which I have preached unto you, even if an angel preaches it, Paul said, let him be accursed, let him be damned, let him be condemned. There is but one message. And this man was fooled by a lying prophet who pretended he had a message from an angel. So when he had disobeyed God, he was slain by a lion. That lion speaks to me of Satan. And oh, tonight, how Satan, in our day, in our time, his slaying would be men of God. Oh, how the soldiers are falling and how we should pray that God would give us victory over the attack by that lion who goeth about seeking whom he may devour. This man's prophecies, this unnamed prophet, came to pass even after he died and gone on to be with the Lord. So he was a man of God. But he disobeyed God. And I would say tonight that one of the characteristics of a man of God is that he obeys the Lord and he lives in the Word of God. Why, well, a few summers ago, in a place where I've lived now 36 years in the same house, I, I, I got it on my heart. I want to visit every home, hundreds of homes in Washington Park where I live. I got it in my heart. I want to visit every home in this subdivision. And I had some of the most wonderful experiences and saw some wonderful people saved. I remember that afternoon when I knocked on the door and a young man I later found was 37 years of age came to the door. And um, I told him who he was and he invited me in. There was a young woman like the preacher preached tonight. 
They were living together out of wedlock in that home. But I talked to them about Christ and how he died for their sins. Both of them were wonderfully saved. They came to the church uh, that Wednesday night. They made a public confession of their faith. They were baptized. They straightened up their life. They became married. And then one day that young man, 37 years of age, said, Preacher, have you ever wondered why that I waited 37 years? And a lot of people wait longer. But he said, have you ever wondered why I waited 37 years to be a Christian? I said, no, I hadn't thought of it. He said, I, my father was a Christian. He said, I love my father. I respect him. He said, oh, I love my father. And I respect him with all my heart. But he said, I've seen my father in, in our home eh, professing Christ as his Savior all my young boyhood and young adulthood life. He said, my father, I've seen him many times bow his head and put his head in his hands and weep. And he would say to me, Carlos, I'm a Christian, but I'm, I'm disobedient to God. He said, when I was a young man, God called me to preach. And I never have preached. And he said, oh, Carlos, how miserable it is to be called of God and to be disobedient to him. Oh, I would say to you tonight, one of the characteristics of a man of God in the Bible is his obedience to the teaching of this blessed and holy book. I read something else about a man of God in the Bible. He's always a man of God when he speaks against sin. And I'm thinking tonight of the ministry of Elijah. When Elijah, well, two and a half years, spent his home in the uh, home, spent his time in the home of the widow of Sarepta. And she was poor. Famine was on. She said, my son and I are about to starve to death. But God worked a wonderful miracle. And um, God made a meal barrel to last for two and a half years. She said, there's a little handful in it. We and my son and I are going to eat it and die. And God worked a miracle. She ate out of it with Elijah and her son for two and a half years. And the Bible said, the meal barrel wasted not. But one day, that young man died. That boy that had been in, in the presence of Elijah for two and a half years. One day, that young man died. And that woman said to Elijah, what about it? But one day, that young man died. That boy that had been in, in the presence of Elijah for two and a half years. One day that young man died, and that woman said to Elijah, What have I to do with thee? O thou man of God, art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? She had known God was real. She had seen God work a miracle. And she had known this man, Elijah, was a man of God. And she said to him, when our boy died, have you come to remind me of my sin? I don't know what her sin was. I know there's no mention made in the Bible of the boy's father. I know she lived in heathendom. And I know she'd been convinced that God was real. And she said to this man of God, she attached to the thought of a man of God. She attached this thought. He is a man that reminds me of my sin and points it out to me. And oh, I'm, I'm not 
putting myself up as an example. But I want to say to you, we need some preaching by men of God against sin in this godless age in which we're living. Oh, there's so much generalizing. I think of a dear black brother that was preaching and he got onto the subject of stealing chickens and how wrong it was. And someone said to one of the men in the church, Oh, isn't that great preaching? He's uh, preaching against stealing chickens. And the black brother who knew the Lord, knew something about the Word, said, No, he said, he's too general. He said, he needs to specify. And they said, what do you mean specify? He said, he needs to say, Mr. Jones needs to quit stealing Mr. Smith's chickens. He needs to specify. My friend, tonight, if a country ever needed to be reminded of its sin, this godless nation needs it tonight. And men of God are the ones raised up of God to preach against sin. Ah, uh, listen, I, I, I don't want to sound critical, but you know a lot of these religious programs, and that's all they are, I see a lot of these religious programs on TV. Now don't go out and say, Brother Tom said every, every religious program on TV is all bad. I didn't say that. But I'll tell you, most of them are worthless. It's a gospel of wealth. If you'll give, but give to me, of course, and my work, you'll someday become a millionaire. It is a gospel of health. If you do what I'm preaching to you to do, you'll always be healed. I'm glad in the sense that's not true. I believe in the healing power of God. But I hate to live in this old body for eight or nine hundred years. And uh, I'd hate to see what yours looked like after a few centuries. Oh, what I'm saying to you, there's a lot of preaching that is not preaching against the things that need to be mentioned in America tonight. And the world has moved into churches in this country in the music, in the style of dress, in the preaching, and in the approach to the whole matter of God. And we need, we need men of God to preach against sin. That leads me to another characteristic I find in these chapters about a man of God. I find that a man of God always takes his orders from God. I'm thinking of Elijah. Uh, when, um, in uh, verse, uh, chapter 1 of, of 1 Kings, or 2 Kings rather, there was a wicked king, Ahaziah. And he, he fell down through the lattice and something and was severely injured and thought he was going to die. He said to him, some of his men, now you go to Baal, the prophets of Baal, and ask them if I'm going to live or if I'm going to die. So they set out on the journey to... Um, take the message of the king and find out from the prophets of Baal whether the king would live or die. And they met a man. And this man of God said to, to the king, um, you, were there no gods in Israel that you have to send to the God of Baal? He said to these messengers, he said, you go back and you tell this king he is going to die. And he'll never get up from his bed. Well, uh, when they got back, uh, it's interesting to me, they, they gave the message and the king said to these messengers, what did this man look like? 
And they said, well, he's a man hairy all over. I don't know what that means. Had much hair on his body. Or it was that uh, coat that he wore, the skins of an animal, that prophet's manual, manual, that uh, mantle that uh, symbolized the power of God. I don't know what it was, but they said he was a hairy man. And uh, he said, I know who he was. He was Elijah. That's who that man of God was. He was Elijah. So the king sent a message. And I want you to hear me tonight. The king sent a message to Elijah. The man of God, the king, it said, come down. He said, you come down to my place. I want to talk to you. He sent a captain with 50 of his soldiers. And you know the story. They were all burned up. And the king said, I'll send another captain 50 more. And he sent another message to the king. Come down. Come down. That's the message from the world tonight and from the devil and from the flesh. Come down from that lofty place where God has placed you as a man of God. Elijah said, no, I'm not coming down. And the man said, the king said, I'll send yet a third group of, of um, men, 50, and with a captain. But this captain had a little different approach. He didn't start off the message first. He just went, fell on his knees and said, now, man of God, you've, you've uh, caused fire to come down and kill the first 50 and the captain, the second 50 and the captain. And he said, now, please, uh, you have mercy. And uh, God spared him. But here's a man that would not take orders horizontally. Here's a man who said, I want my orders from God. And I believe, you know, I, there's nothing in the Bible about uh, organized religion as such. And I may hurt your feelings tonight, but if you'll show me in the Bible where there's denominations, denomination of religion, I'm a Baptist and proud of it. Saved in the Methodist church, got my eyes open soon, and became a Baptist. But uh, there's nothing in the Bible about uh, denominations. There's no ties between churches except the tie of fellowship. None of them are taught in the Bible. There's no ecclesiastical demagogues who are to order God's men around hither and yon. That's not taught in the scriptures. That is totally unscriptural. That's why the curse of God has come upon so many of these large groups. Here's a man said, no, I'm not coming down. I'm not coming down till I get my orders vertically. When God tells me to go down to you, then I'll be there. Oh, I'm thrilled when I think of William Booth. William Booth was the father of the Salvation Army. And if you know the Salvation Army today, you may not uh, appreciate so much what I'm thinking. But I remember the Salvation Army when it was one of the greatest evangelistic forces in the world. And they turned uh, hundreds of miles of street curbs into mourners' benches. And all over this world they call people to repent and believe and be saved. One day God, God burdened the heart of William Booth for the derelicts and the down and outers of London that religion and denomination was not reaching and for whom they cared nothing. One day God called him. And I've read where William Booth was called to face his superiors in, in the organized uh, denominational system in which he was. And they put him, as it were, on trial. And these ecclesiastical demagogues 
set upon the platform and stood him there like his own trial. And they said to him, will you go where we tell you to go? Will you preach what we tell you to preach? And up yonder in the balcony, a little woman, Mrs. Booth, stood to her, a little, to her feet and waved her little handkerchief. And she called down to him and said, Say no, William. Say no. And William said no. And as a result of it tonight, there are literally thousands of people that are on the banks of the river of life and saved for time and eternity. We need some people who believe their orders ought to come from God. Not from some... I had a fellow come to me one time. I should have known what kind he was when I saw him coming. He carried his briefcase like a lady carries her purse. He walked as straight as a two before. I don't like people walk all that straight. And he carried his, carried his briefcase like a sissy. And he came into me and talking about the world church and if I believed in it, I said, I sure do. And I talked to him about the world church in the 17th and 18th chapter of the book of Revelation, how God called it the abomination and the great whore and how God is going to judge it. And in a little while he said to me, well, where is your headquarters? I said, don't have any headquarters. I knew what he meant. He wanted me to say Nashville or something like that. I said, no, I don't have any headquarters. He said, now, what directory are you written up in? I said, I'm not in any directory. He said, but you have some central place to which you're responsible. Where is your headquarters? I said to that man, Pella, much of the time, I don't even know where my hindquarters are, let alone where my headquarters are. My headquarters are in heaven. I learned in this Bible that a man of God manifests a visible holiness. I think of Elijah going up and down the road and passing the little village of Shunem. There was a great woman there. I think the Bible says great because she and her husband no doubt were well to do. Then she never met Elisha. But she'd seen him walk the roads serving the Lord. And one day she said to her husband, I perceive that this man is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. And she suggested they build the prophet's chamber on the side of the house, which they did. But she said to her husband, watching him, watching him, she said, I perceive that this man is a holy man of God. And I say to you tonight, holiness and purity is visible in the life of a man of God. Don't tell me you can't see it. I believe, I believe it was taught in the Bible when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, Acts 4.13, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Now they perceived they were ignorant. They weren't. They had a wisdom this world knows nothing about. They had graduated from the school of Jesus. But what they meant, they don't have any doctor's degrees. They don't have any letters after their name. By the way, I didn't mean to say this, but a fellow said to me the other day, who graduated from our school, he said, when I got my bachelor's degree, he said, I went back down south to see my people, took my degree and showed it to them. He said, some of my old country kin folks said to me, why, if you've called of God, you wouldn't need that thing. And uh, we make jokes about it, but down where I was raised, you were either a God-called preacher or an educated preacher, but you sure couldn't be both. Anyway, they said of Peter and John that these men, uh, they perceived, when they saw their boldness, they perceived that they were unlettered, 
And I said to this fellow, he's telling me about his degree. You know, God is not just interested in, in degrees. And I said to him, and I don't know if I've said to anybody else, I said, did you ever think about how unimpressed God is there with a doctor's degree? Oh, I'm sure that a lot of folks think. Now God is impressed because I have a doctor's degree. Oh no, that's not what God's looking for. Men of God are like Peter and John who had a visible purity and holiness and people recognized they had been with Jesus. That's the main thing. Oh, you only, you only get, you only get what they had through prayer and fasting and holy living and living in this book. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now I'm going to close in just a minute. I'm not near through. If you saw my points tonight, you'd get up and leave. I got enough here to last forever. But I'm going to close. And that's all right. It doesn't bother me a bit in the world. I never have finished. I often think I ought to start at the bottom of some of my sermons go up because I've never been down there before. You know, men of God in the Bible were men who knew when something was wrong. I think of Elijah when he was at Gilgal and there was a school at Gilgal, one at Bethel, one at Jericho, called the School of the Prophets. And I would that our schools today were schools that turned out not just preachers, not just people with finesse, not just people who know hermeneutics, not just people who are homiletical, but all that our schools could turn out Men of God until in every city and hamlet in America there could be a man of God representing the Lord. But men, men of God know what to do when things are wrong. And when the, the Elisha called the, the young preachers at Gilgal together, and the Bible said to sit on the great pot and they were going to eat together and the young prophets went out together the vegetables and herbs and so forth, and someone gathered poisonous, poisonous gourds and brought them back. And when they cooked it and began to eat, they began to eat. Someone said, Oh, thou man of God, there's death in the pot. But Elisha knew what to do. And I want to tell you, my friends, there's death in the pot tonight. A many a school and a many a church and a many a preacher in my lifetime has capitulated and given up their standards and desecrated their calling. Oh, God, help us tonight to have standards. There's a man preaching in this country whose tapes are listened to, and some of you got your front seat of your car full of them tonight. And I read what he said recently about the blood of Jesus Christ and I couldn't stand it. He said the blood of Jesus means nothing. That's what modernists say. The blood of Jesus is not important. He said it's the death of Jesus and tried to use human logic and so forth. But I want to tell you, I read in the Bible without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And I read in the Bible, you're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as a lamb slain without spot and without blemish. And I read in the Bible where God said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And I said, Mr. MacArthur, you can talk all you want to about it. But I believe it's the blood God honors. 
And you know, some folks are like the Athenians. They stay awake all night and study all day to come up with something new. We don't need anything new. We need to preach what the Bible says. Oh, how people have gone away from the inerrancy of the Bible. By the way, I wouldn't argue about it. I'd just put on my hat and get my Bible and I'd move on. Because I wouldn't fellowship with people who didn't believe in the inerrancy of this blessed book. And I sure wouldn't let any of them teach in a college that I had anything to do with. And I wouldn't wait a whole generation to do something about it either. Why, people today associate with cultists. I mean people that you and I thought of, thought of as fundamentalists associate with people who do not believe that Jesus was the virgin-born Son of God. Pardon me, dear friend. You get mad if you want to. But I want to tell you, I'm not going to sit on the platform with some man who does not believe Jesus was born of a holy virgin, conceived of the Holy Ghost. No, sir! You said, well, will you, won't you do it in order to close up some of these infamous places? No! That's not God's program. God's not interested in cleaning up the world. God's interested in getting people saved. And one day God will make a new world. The man of God knows what to do when something is wrong and he recognizes it. Oh, people make in our day and time little of soul winning. There are a lot of so-called fundamentalists in America tonight laugh at the kind of con uh, conference you and I involved in tonight. They are ashamed of the word fundamentalist. I guess I'm dumb. And I guess I have sense enough nobody else would have me. But I'm going to stay with the fundamentalist. Because that's what I am. Oh, we need to get down to the root of the problem and find out what's wrong and deal with it. I think of the, the old farmer. Had a little spring. One day he came along, the man wanted to drink of water and the spring was muddy. He was dipping it with a big gourd, that muddy water, and throwing it out on the bank. More muddy water would come, and he's dipping and dipping and dipping. The old farmer stroked his chin and said, If you go right up there about uh, ten steps, you'll find the spring. And he said, There's an old sow and about six pigs wallowing in the spring. You get that old sow and the pigs out of the spring and just sit down a minute and it'll all clean up. And what we need tonight is an old-fashioned revival in some of these people that call themselves fundamentalists to recognize what's wrong and get to the source of it and either straighten it out or get out of it. I hear great preachers preach. I wouldn't be worthy to carry their briefcase. They suggest everything in the world but come out. And that's what God says. God doesn't want a Christian in a compromising situation. The man of God knows the future. You know, when this woman... That uh, whose son was raised from the dead. One day Elijah said to her, there's going to come a famine. It's going to last seven years. And you better leave this part of the country for seven years. And I read, and the woman arose and did after saying, the man of God, he knew the future. Now listen, I'm not a crystal ball gazer. I'm not a date setter. But I know the future because it's given to me in my Bible. I know that just as sure as Elisha knew the famine would come. I know the next thing on the program of God is the coming of the Lord. 
Oh, to hear the trumpet blow and to have him come. I would that it would come tonight. I know that in my future is a judgment seat where my works will be examined. and God will either reward or, or deprive me at the judgment seat of Christ. I know there's a judgment day coming when everyone in this whole world shall stand before the throne of God and whosoever's name is not written in the Lamb's book of life shall be cast in the lake of fire. I know one day there's coming down out of the sky New Jerusalem, the holy city. 1,500 miles cube. And it's going to be my home through all eternity. And there'll be the river of life and the gates of pearl and the streets of gold. My future's all planned. Someone came to me recently and said, I want to give you a tape. And I'd like you to listen to it. I said, what's it about? I said, the title of the tape is what to do if you're left to go through the tribulation. I said, you don't need to give it to me. <laughs> give it to somebody else. Maybe it'll help them. They said, well, you ought to listen to it. No, I don't need to listen to that. I don't plan to go through the tribulation. And I'm telling you, I don't even plan to go through the first half of the tribulation. Let's see, here's a good quitting place. A man of God. I read in the Bible, the man of God wept. And I wish I had time to tell you why he wept. There was a wicked man dying. There never had been a greater enemy to Israel than old wicked Ben-Hadad, this Syrian. But one day he died. And the man of God saw Haziel, who's to be the next king. And the man of God knew Haziel would rip up the women with child. He'd destroy the city of Jerusalem. He'd kill the people of God literally by the tens of thousands. The Bible said, and the man of God set his face and his countenance, and the man of God wept. Oh, we need some people who can weep. Men of God are compassionate people that love the souls of men. I'm thinking tonight of a man that we tried so hard years ago to win to the Lord, finally did. I, I hesitate to call names, but I, I'll give you his first name. His first name is Charles. If there's ever been a man on earth that was a man of few words, Charles was. If you could get Charles, a father and a husband, and he'd come to church with his godly wife, but if you get him to say hello, that's like me making a whole full-length sermon. Now, really, I'm not exaggerating. I'm, I'm not preaching right now. I'm telling you the truth. This man was Mr. Silent Man. And uh, that good godly woman, she was so burdened for him, she wanted to see him saved. And she'd, she'd say to me frequently, now come, come to the home. Uh, Pastor Malone, and uh, talk to Charlie. I want Charlie to be saved. I've seen him be. I've seen people go to him in the services. He never one time utter a word. Never acknowledged that some Christian stood beside him begging. Not a word. One day, Dr. Frank Holman said to me, uh, who was still there, just graduated from Midwest Baptist College, he said to me, let's go to Charlie's home. Would that be a burden for him today? And uh, I would like to see him saved. I said, so would I. We've been there before numerous times. So I remember that day we went and, and uh, his wife came to the door and she said, uh, uh, come in, men. And she called us by name. And we went in there and said, Charlie. Charlie didn't get up. Charlie didn't say, glad to have you uh, in our home. Welcome. 
Charlie didn't open his mouth. And so we sat down, and in a moment, uh, Brother Holman began to take his New Testament, and he began to take the sword of the Spirit and began to work on him. And I saw Brother Holman get down on his knees beside the chair which Charlie sat. And I saw him, the big tears rolling down his face. And he took the Bible. He showed him how to be saved. But Charlie wouldn't even answer him. And so he got up and he sat in his chair, Brother Holman did. And I went, I went through the same thing with him. And then to no avail, and I looked at his wife and she was weeping. Finally I said, let us pray. And uh, uh, Brother Holman and myself and his dear wife got on their knees. And we couldn't pray much. We knew a man was going to hell and needed to be saved. We couldn't pray much. And I heard Brother Holman sobbing. And I heard his Christian wife sobbing and crying, Oh, God, save my husband. And in a moment I heard the sweetest music I've ever heard. I heard a man sitting in that chair, Mr. Silence. I heard him go, And he was sobbing. And in a moment he broke like a little child. And thank God he was saved. And I won't tell you, no preaching on earth. No logic any Christian could use. No Romans road. Nothing would have ever moved Charlie except the tears of a man and his, and his wife who wept over him. Oh, how we need tonight people to know how to weep. Do you know, folks think, well, I shouldn't cry at church. I want to remind you, tears are a sign of strength. And I want you to know that our lo lovely Lord beheld the city and wept over Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.